Well, good morning. So I don't know about you, but it is a great week to be a Chiefs fan. They are national champs. I don't, yeah, world champs. But um, I don't know if you watched the game, but there was this little subtle shift that happened in the second half of that football game. Because for the first half, the Chiefs weren't really leading, they were trailing. And then in the second half, I really hope you saw what happened. I got home and I turned on the TV and the momentum shifted. So I just want to say you're welcome because I, I, I'll, I'll, I don't know why they didn't have me on the stand with them on Wednesday, but I really feel like me watching them, getting home, turning on the game, starting to root for them, that was what changed. And, and I expect my ring to come in the mail pretty soon. Um, and they'll engrave my name, number one fan. And if I'm honest, uh, I can name four players on the Chiefs team probably. I'm not that big of a fan. I might actually be what you call a fair weather fan because uh, when they were losing, I didn't watch a whole lot of them. Now Texas, thick and thin, I'm with them, but not the Chiefs. And when I share things like I'm part of the reason that we won that game and stuff like that, obviously you guys realize that's very dumb uh, that I had little to no impact on that game. And what you would say is, Andy, you're just a fan, and by your own words, you are even a fair weather fan. You're going to follow the Chiefs, but if they would go on five seasons of being in the losing column, then I probably wouldn't watch them that much. I have other things I want to do. You would say, I'm a fan. I'm not a part of that team. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is as we're in John chapter 6, I feel there are a lot of people that might be the same thing with Jesus. And that's what we're going to see in our account today as we're working our way through the life of Christ. As Jesus has this encounter with this large group of people, and he pretty much whittles it down to, why are you coming to me? And so I want to open up with the question, what are you? When you look at your life and when you look at your relationship with Christ and why you're coming to him, and we're going to break this down by asking some questions through this sermon that I, I hope you will reflect on. But what are you? Are you a committed follower of Christ? What the Bible would say, a disciple. Or are you just a fan? Are you just that person that is like, hey, Jesus, he's the world champ, so yeah, I'm going to follow him, but as we're going to see this morning, when things get difficult, I'm going to step away. I'm going to be a fair weather fan. So we're going to be in John chapter 6, if you want to flip there and follow along. We're gonna, it's a long chapter, and we're going to kind of jump our way through it, and I'll try and fill in the gaps as well. But before we get there, if you'll just join me, we'll open up in a word of prayer. And then we'll dive into our text. So, Father God, we just come before you. And God, I just pray that as we open up your word, we open up our hearts to you, to the work that you are doing. And God, I pray that as we wrestle with some questions this morning, that hopefully just have a, a personal conversation between you and us about where we stand in our relationship with you, how committed we are to you. God, I pray that you do the convicting, that you do the work. Let your Holy Spirit come upon us this morning so that 
we can just be drawn closer to you. God, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So John chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus went away to the, other side of Gal- to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw signs that he was doing on the sick. So again, if you've been following along with the reading or with our sermons, we've seen Jesus and he is starting to rise to fame. People are starting to see the works that he's doing. He's um, already performed miracles. He's cast out demons. He has been arriving on the scene. He is preaching and teaching like one who has authority that nobody has ever seen before. He has this group that is following him. It said that a large crowd was following him. But notice there at the end of verse 2 what it said. This is why they were following him. Because... They saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now, I uh, started working out again this past week, and my hips are killing me. And if there was somebody that could just touch my hips, and I would have no more pain at all, I will go see them. If there was somebody that was giving free Chick-fil-A to everybody that showed up, I'd be going to Chick-fil-A. Like, We go where people are doing things. And so Jesus is performing these signs. He's working these miracles. And he has this large crowd coming to him. And so he continues to heal. He continues to work in them. And then that day, they're over on the other side of the sea. His disciples are looking around. And they're like, oh my goodness. This is like a ton of people. And we don't have any food to feed them. What are we going to do? And so Jesus looks at them and he says, well, how much food do we have? And they're like, Jesus, we don't have enough food to feed them all. Send them away. And he's like, there's nowhere for them to go. They would collapse on the journey. What do we have? And so they're like, all right, Jesus, well, we have five loaves of bread and we have two fish. But Jesus, we kind of did the quick math and there's 5,000 men. Only men. There are More, if you count the women and children, there are approximations that there are potentially 20,000 people. Cherokee County, 20,000 people. Imagine going home, grabbing your lunch and being like, all right, I'm going to go feed all of Cherokee County off of this. Like you might be having a family get together. It's not 20,000 people worthy. And yet Jesus is like, go ahead, have the people sit down, pass out the food. And they do that. And they get 12 basketfuls in response. And so it's like, oh my goodness, there's your free Chick-fil-A. Like Jesus just took two Chick-fil-A sandwiches and a side of potatoes, which are amazing. And then he just passed it out to all of Cherokee County. And it's like, wow, that's incredible. And so then Jesus, he ends up going away to be alone, and he sends his disciples across the sea, and this is where a storm comes, and they start freaking out, and then they see what looks like a ghost walking by them, and Jesus says, do not be afraid. It is I, and they're like, oh, and so then he walks on the water, he gets in the boat, they finally get to the other side, and all the people suddenly wake up, and they're like, wait a minute, where'd Jesus go? We've got to go find him because my stomach's hungry again, and I want breakfast. 
And so in verse 14, it says, the people saw the sign that he had done. They said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So here they're thinking about Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses, God through Moses said, there is going to come another prophet who will be greater than me and he you will listen to. And so they're thinking, this is that prophet. And perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew to the mountain and then he ends up walking across the water and then they come looking for him. So picking back up in verse 25, they found him on the other side of the sea and they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, yesterday morning. No, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. These people are coming to Jesus because they're like, we're hungry again. Is he going to feed us again with this physical food? Like, we, we want to come see Jesus because he is doing all of this incredible stuff. But Jesus looks at them, and he's straight honest with them, and he says, the only reason you're coming to me is not because of the signs that I'm doing, but because of the things that you can get out of those signs. You're coming to me because of what you can get, not because of what the signs are supposed to do. The signs of Jesus, especially in John's writing, are to point to who Jesus is, that he is the son of God. And so they were supposed to see the signs and realize, whoa, you are the promised one. You are the Messiah. You are the son of God. You are the one that can deliver us from ourselves and from our sin. But instead, they just want the stuff. They just want to come to Jesus and be like, all right, what else do you have to give me? Can, can you maybe, you know, take my 10 pennies and turn it into a couple million dollars? Like I've seen you multiply like that before. What can you give me, Jesus? They're witnessing the Savior of the world. They're witnessing him perform these miracles, which are supposed to point to who he is. And all they want is more and more and more stuff. What else can you give me, God? They don't truly have a belief about who Jesus is. And so the question that I want us to wrestle with first is, why is it that you're coming to Jesus? Why is it that you are in a relationship or that you believe in Jesus? Why is it you're following after him? Is it because you're hoping for that health, wealth, and prosperity gospel? Is it because you're wanting things from him? Is it because you're wanting not to be hated by God? And so you think, okay, I have, to, I have to come to Jesus. And so it's more out of like this rigid structure system that I'm gonna come based on these rules and patterns and it's not relationship. Why in your heart are you following after Jesus? Is it the stuff that he can give you? And you're missing out on who is truly in front of you, the son of, the, the son of God. So for me, this has been a major uh, just heart check this week for me. I've been reading a book, and it's kind of just slapping me all over the place. But it, in it, it keeps talking about as it, it's written for pastors. And so it's saying, as a pastor, you can get so caught up in Scripture so caught up in the academic side of Scripture that you totally miss out on who Scripture is pointing to. And it was like, whoa, 
that kind of became true of me this week or even before this that here I am, and I, I'm having my quiet time, but as I'm reading in my quiet time, it's like, all right, what do the people at Center Christian Church need to hear? So God, speak to me so that they can hear something from you, and I'm totally missing out on, God, I just want to be with you. I just want to grow in my relationship with you. It's not so that I can preach some sermon later on. God, I want this time to be between you and me. That's where my heart has been that it has not been that way, that it's been more, give me the information, give me something that I can regurgitate later on. But instead now, my prayer is like, God, I just want you in this time. Draw me close to you. So we see this crowd and Jesus says straight to them, you're coming to me, not because of the signs that you saw, but because of the thing that you were able to get. Continuing on in verse 27, Jesus tells them, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So again, here these people are coming to Jesus and they are looking for temporary satisfaction. They're like, Jesus, if you would just give us another meal, we would be happy. Have you ever made that statement to Jesus? Jesus, if you would just give me this job, then I would be happy. If you would give me this relationship, if you would give me this new forerunner, if you would, whatever it is, God, if you would just give me this, that's when I would really be happy. And we're working for the temporary, for the things of this earth. For as Jesus just said, the food that perishes and we're missing out on eternal glory. And so Jesus says, do not be concerned about the things that perish, but instead focus on the eternal glory, on the relationship with God. Because that's the thing. The things of this world will perish. The things that we work for, the things that we labor for, the things that you put so much investment and time into, if it is not God-centered and like just for him, you're going to see that it's going to waste away. I mean, again, just I, I think I've asked this in the past, but think of that Christmas present that you wanted so bad as a kid. And then a week later, you were like, ah, it's broken. Batteries died. I lost it. I don't even use it anymore. They came out with a newer version. Like that's what we're doing with the things of this world. That it's like, oh, I just want the new thing. I want that thing. I want, I want fame. I want whatever it is. We want something. We are hungering after something and we're trying to fill it with the things of this world and it's not satisfying. And so Jesus is saying, don't work for the things of this world because the things of this world are temporary but instead work for the things that are eternal. And so the people, they ask the right question. All right, what should we do? How do we work for the things that are eternal? And Jesus says, believe in him. Verse 28, he said for, uh, then they said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, to believe in Jesus. Not for what he can give you, but for who he is. That he is the son of God. That as John the Baptist said, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
that he is our reconciliation, as Todd read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that he came to reconcile us to God, that he is the only source of eternal life, that by no other name will anybody be saved. It is only by the name of Jesus, not the things that he can give us, but who he is. So here's, here's the thing, though, that you can claim to be a Christian and still be missing out on the deeper things of Jesus. You can be there and claim to be a Christian. You can be like, all right, I'm, I'm doing the Christian thing. I'm like reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm attending church. I'm giving. I'm serving. You can do all of those things, but you are still missing out on who Jesus really is. Because there are people who are not believers that do those very same things. And so Jesus is saying it's not about just this name, you know, being a fan. It's not just about like, hey, yeah, Jesus, I really like that guy. He's like, no, it's being in a relationship with Jesus. He's telling us, don't look for physical satisfaction and miss out on the eternal gift of a relationship with Jesus. Because again, we are all hungering for something. We're all eating something. Some of it is just uh, identity. We're constantly on social media trying to fill that satisfaction. We're constantly working, trying to fill that appetite of identity and purpose. We're constantly throwing our kids into new activities, trying to find our identity through them. We're constantly trying to buy the new stuff. We are all hungering for something. But what is it that Jesus tells us to hunger after? Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for that right relationship with God, to be found in right standing with God. You know, we're trying to fill ourselves with stuff. So I had two donuts this morning. Little, uh, we'll, we'll just be authentic. Uh, Todd brought donuts. I ate two. I would have ate more. But as I'm walking through here, it's like, all right, I had breakfast. That was pretty good. And then as I'm walking, it's like, oh, 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 I can feel it in my stomach. They're all just like, there's a dough ball in my gut right now. And it's like, oh, I should not have ate those. That's, I didn't know donuts were going to be an analogy today. But that is what the things of this world will do. Oh, I want it. It looks good. It's so appealing. I need to have it. I'm hungry for it. It's going to satisfy my appetite. And then you get it and you realize, oh, that did not satisfy. Instead, I kind of got this knot in my stomach over it. I'm not feeling that great because of it. We're constantly trying to fill the emptiness of our lives with something. And there is only one thing that will truly satisfy. Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. And so we are called not to live for the things of this world. They're, they're necessary. We need daily food. But we are called to have our purpose, our identity, our focus, the reason for our living, Jesus. That be what drives us in everything. Because he says in John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I'm the only one that's going to satisfy you. I'm the only one that is going to truly fill that void in your heart. It's not going to be careers, possessions, family, finances, whatever it is that you put in there. There's only one thing. 
and it's Jesus. Isaiah has this little drum, and it's got all these different shapes in it, and he constantly is trying to cram the wrong shape in the wrong, or the wrong shape in the wrong hole. And it's like, buddy, that's the wrong one. You got to put, he, he has circle down, but nothing else. And it's like, man, you got to put a star in there. And yet that's what we're doing. We're like, ah, I know that that last career that I hung everything on did not satisfy, but maybe it's this one. And so I'm going to cram this career-shaped device into this hole in my heart that only one thing can fill. It's only Jesus. He says, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will never hunger or thirst again. And so the second question I want us to wrestle with is what are things in your life that you are seeking to find satisfaction in that is not Christ? What is it that you are trying to find your identity in? What is it that you are trying to find your joy? Now again, there's things that God blesses us with that are good things, that we can return back to praise to him. But when those good things become ultimate things, that's when we've gone too far. And so a good way of asking it is one that I always do is, if God took this away from me, it would crumble my entire world. That if God took whatever it is, if God took my career, my house, my possessions, all my finances, if God took, this is the card that the whole deck is standing on, house of cards is standing on, and if that one thing gets removed, I'm done. Then that's what you're building your house on. And if it's Jesus, then Matthew tells us that the winds are going to come, the storms are going to blow, and the rains are going to fall, and if your house is built on Christ, you'll stand because he's the one that you're building your life on. And so what are some things that you are trying to find satisfaction in your life instead of Jesus? For me this week, it was trying to find satisfaction on how much more knowledge can I get and not on how can I grow closer to Christ through this. I want to flip over to Matthew chapter 13 real quick, because here we see Jesus is sharing a parable, and it's the parable of the sower. It's a pretty common parable. It starts in verse 3 where he says, he said many things in a parable, saying, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He's saying that the word is proclaimed, the word is the seed that lands upon all these spots, and it's different responses to it. He goes on to explain in verse 18, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what has been sown in, oh, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, 
he indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. And so notice the difference here in the soils. That here, one, they all hear the word. First one, they don't even respond to it. But then the other three, there's a response. They're those ones that hear and it grows up, but then the sun comes down on it and it just withers it all away. Or it grows along the thorns and the, the concerns of this world. They're like, ah, I really want to follow Jesus, but I just, I got too much other stuff going on in this world. I got too many other concerns. I don't have time. And so it chokes out the joy that they had. And then the good soil grows up, has a fruit that it produces. Now, the reason I jump there is because in John chapter 6, I see three of these four fruit, uh, soils being played out. We already saw the first one that was grown up along the thorns because they came to Jesus and they were like, hey, Jesus, we're excited to follow you. You did really cool stuff. And then he's like, hold on. You're just coming because of the things, the thorns that can grow alongside because they did not fully want to follow Jesus. They had the concerns of this world growing up alongside of them. Then we have the rocky soil in verse 35. This is where I see this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Then jumping to verse 53, he says, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And then verse 66, he sa it says, After this, many disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Why are you following Jesus? Because here Jesus just gave a very difficult teaching to them. And they're like, whoa, we can't do that. We were excited about following you, but then difficulties came. You said something that didn't really resonate with me. Can we just have the really encouraging stuff? Not the, the I have to die to myself. I have to give up my vices of the past. Not that stuff. Can we just tell me how good I actually am and how much God really loves me? He does. You're not. But he does. But it's like where, when the hard teachings come, they fell away. We see the soil that they were, where there was not a real strong root. It was there because Jesus was giving them stuff. But then he gave them a hard teaching. And they're like, no, nope, can't do that. But then we see the good soil. Verse 67. Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They had made that decision. They were like, Jesus, you gave a hard teaching. We're sticking with you. Jesus, you're telling us that we are going to have to be baptized with the same baptism as you. We're there. Now, there were some rocky paths along the way as Peter stuck his 
foot in his mouth and the disciples did flee, but then they all came back. They were committed to Jesus. They had left everything and they realized he was worth everything. They made a practice of living for Christ. It wasn't just that, you know what, I'm going to be a fan and on Sundays I'll cheer for Jesus. But then that's not going to get you through those really difficult moments in life. It was they said, we're with you, Jesus, through thick and thin. Because we see that you are far greater than the temporary satisfactions and the physical appetites of this world. You are the bread of life that when we have partaken of you, we don't hunger. We don't thirst. No matter what this world gives me, it never compares to Jesus. You see, they had a practice of living for Jesus in everything. Another way you could say that is they abided in Christ. John chapter 15, starting in verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in in me. And then in verse 10, he goes on to say, if you keep my commandments, notice that there, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So what does it look like to practice living for Christ, to, to have a practice? It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just being a fan of Jesus and going to a sporting event every now and then and maybe donning on a stocking cap that says his name on it. It's living a life for him. It's practicing your way. It's abiding. And notice how Jesus says that is taken care of by obeying his commandments. Yeah, but I don't like some of them. I'll agree with that. But yet he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He wants us to live according to what he says to do. Because what he says is good and true and right. His way is what leads to ultimate joy and peace and satisfaction. So the way that you know what kind of soil you are is by the fruit that your life will produce. And so the third question I want us to wrestle with here is, what kind of fruit is your life producing? When you look at the grand scheme of things, what kind of fruit is coming out of your life? Is it a fruit of bitterness, hatred, anger, lying, stealing, whatever it is? Or is it the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Jesus says you will know them by their fruit. And so you can deceive other people for so long but you can't deceive God. He sees your heart. He knows where you're at. And so we have to look into our own hearts because we're also told the heart is deceitful above all else. And so sometimes we got to do a heart check and be like, all right, what is the fruit? Well, I've noticed that I'm giving myself over to anger a whole lot more. All right, well, what are we feeding into ourselves? Are we feeding on the bread of life or are we feeding on the things of this world? Well, I've noticed that I've given myself over to impure thoughts. Well, what are we putting into our mind? Are we scrolling and seeing things? Are we watching things that we shouldn't? Are we listening to things that we shouldn't? What is it that we are feeding on? Is it the temporary things of this world that are going to perish, or is it on the eternal bread of life? What type of fruit is your life producing? So my prayer 
I read a stat this week, and it said that 60, I think, 67% of Americans would claim to be Christian. I thought, well, that's pretty cool. 4% are following Jesus. I thought, that's not so cool. 4% of people who claim to be Christians are actually living for him are actually saying, I'm going to see what God's word says, and I'm going to not just, as James says, look at it and then walk away and forget what I read, but 4% are looking at it and doing what it says. My prayer is that we are the 4% here, that you hear these words, that you see God's message, and that even if you have been the other 59% that is like a fan of Jesus, you would hear this and be like, no more. I'm going to commit to Christ. I'm going to not just be a nominal Christian. I want to surrender everything over to him. I've been living for the things of this world, but now I want to live for Christ. Because you see, a relationship with Jesus is far greater than anything this world offers. It is going to take you further. I mean, it takes you to eternity. Like, you can't go much further than that. But it is going to give you so much more than anything in this world has to offer. You see, Jesus isn't calling us to claim to be Christians. He's calling us to live for him. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So the final question I want us to wrestle with is, what are you? Are you a fan of Jesus or are you truly following after him? Are you giving everything over to him so that when you say, if this were removed, my life would still stand because my life is built on Christ, not on the things of this world. Father God, we come before you and this is gonna take you speaking truth into our hearts. And so God, I just pray that you do that. As we get ready to sing this final song that we wrestle with those questions of why we truly are following you and what we are putting above you in our relationship and God, just truly where we stand with you. May we take this time to truly do a heart check and will you just convict us of areas in our life that we have not given over to you so that we can just be wholly yours. God, you're the one that does all the work that, that is able to change our hearts, make us the new creation. So I just pray that you help us surrender to your work. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this, amen.